Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Sunday Social. I am your host, Lucy Moon, and this week has been a week. <laughs> just trust me so I'm currently in Australia if you didn't already know and on the way here I got a bit ill um, I got a urine infection as I've been shouting about all over the internet because I thought it was just gonna last a day or so but I ended up having to get antibiotics on the other side of the world it's been a real week for me so I'm editing everything like 11 hours ahead I guess so I'm putting this out at 7pm where I am but hopefully it'll be 7am where you are and you will be able to have a wonderful Sunday brunch and listen to it or listen to it in bed or wherever you listen. I have been at a lovely Sunday lunch. I went with my boyfriend's family and it was very boozy. He's currently having a nap next to me on the bed while I work <laughs> catch up with everything I've missed. So anyway let's get on to this week's episode. This week I spoke to the wonderful Juno Dawson. Juno is primarily an author, a writer, and an activist, and, as you may be able to tell from this interview, a trans woman. Now, I've noticed this year there has been loads of super negative press on trans people, but especially trans women, and I find it really frustrating because you're already a marginalised person, and I can't imagine what it feels like to then be villainised constantly by the media. So I thought it'd be lovely to get someone on the podcast who could talk more about this. And I love Juno to pieces. I've worked with her a little bit before with Banging Book Club. We interviewed her for a live episode one time. She's just incredible. So I went around her house and she got me a gluten-free cake from Gail's, which I'm forever grateful for. And we had a really nice chat about what this year has been like for her specifically, but also for trans women, especially with regard to the media. And then we also talked about how allies can help the situation because I don't know about you, but I don't want other women speaking on my behalf when it comes to how we feel about trans women, which unfortunately is kind of how it's being positioned at the moment in the media. So yeah, if you want to know more about that, please keep listening. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate it on your favourite podcasting app. My one is Apple Podcasts, but I now know we're available on Spotify. You know, I don't think we have a Spotify rating system, but if there is one, please go ahead. Give us five stars and some really nice feedback, maybe. 
And yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode with Juno Dawson of The Sunday Social. Hello, I am here with Juno Dawson. Hello, Lucy. Welcome to my flat. Thank you for having me. Shall we contextualise where we are? Yes. We are in Brighton area. Uh Uh-huh. And in Juno's flat, which is really nice. And her dog, which is princess or prince? Prince. Prince. (laughs) Has just, (laughs) just left, which I'm really sad about. It's like a little chihuahua and he's so cute. Um, anyway, right. Could you intro yourself to the audience, to the audience, to the listeners? Because I always intro people, but then I'm like, well, you might define yourself differently to how I know you. So how would you define yourself? Well, I think first and foremost, I am an author and particularly this year I've kind of refocused on what it is I actually do. I'm a writer. Um, I'm the author of, I think now 14 books, most recently clean, which is the one that probably if you largely if your audience have read any of my books it's probably clean or maybe the gender games or maybe this book is gay actually because this book is gay yeah that's how I found you yeah but then I read gender games and um, we've had you on the other podcast banging book club as yes well, so thank like, you very much but yeah. clean's your newest clean is the newest and it's really taken off it's done really well it was voted cosmopolitan must read this year so it has really struck a chord and sort of found its audience which perhaps my novels previously perhaps hadn't done so well done well done me and well done clean <laughs> well done for buying it as well um um but as well as being a writer I'm also transgender so some people know me first and foremost as that trans woman off the telly which is a weird thing <laughs> to be known for but yes you might have seen me pop up on BBC Breakfast or Good Morning Britain or I did did you do Good Morning Britain? I did with Piers, and I think I got out unscathed as well. I think it's still on. It weirdly, strangely, that that clip on YouTube has had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of viewers, and which is strange. Um, yeah, sort of. I I pop up. I did a campaign for Momentum, which has obviously been watched by an awful lot of people. So yeah, so it's it's strange. So yes, but I I think I'm one of very few trans people who are working in the media. I guess. Some people would say I was an activist. I just think I'm just sort of there. Yeah, it's kind of like a representative role in a way because people... Well, I'll ask you about this as well. I'd imagine you get emails and calls being like, hi, we need someone for this thing, for this thing, to talk about this. Oh, yeah, I call it dialatrans. Yeah, they they literally (laughs) ring you up and they always say, I was such a fan of your work, but we just need one of you people. You know, we just need, need one. And it could be you, or it could be Munro, Bergdorfer, it could be Paris Leaves. We just need one of you here, and you are one. And so it is, it does, it's a super weird role, and it's a role that this year I've really sort of reevaluated my relationship with. And that's why I said, first and foremost, I'm a writer, and I kind of have to constantly remind myself of, no, no, this is not your job and I mean I'll say right up front that you know I do not speak on behalf of any community you know the trans community is a worldwide global community of hundreds of thousands of people some of them are very young and are children and have realized their gender during the internet age which is a very different thing to a person who has been living as trans since the 60s or 70s and have had a very different experience of what it is to be trans probably even predating the word transgender so you know I'm absolutely not here to speak on behalf of anyone other than myself so I wanted to know you came out when you were already uh successful you had already published probably like seven or eight books Mm -hmm. that's my guess 
and you were already you were already a Stonewall representative yeah. as well, right? Or ambassador. How did you find that experience of coming out in a way in the public eye? It was funny and it and it has and it's only still now that I'm sort of seeing the knock on effects of being in that slightly weird situation and it was an unusual one in that I didn't really have a choice. I suppose there was a very early conversation with my editor about and my publishing house about, you know, do I take a few years off? Do I kind of go away, sort of fade from public view and sort of come back looking very different and with a new name and sort of almost like a relaunch? But then I sort of thought, well, actually, a lot of your readers are going through this exact same thing. And of course, I figured out I was trans while I was working on This Book Is Gay. And, and so since This Book Is Gay came out in 2014, so since then, you know, a lot of people, I was getting letters from young people saying, I think I might be trans, or I think I might be gender non-binary, or gender fluid. And I was like, well, then is it not doing them a huge disservice for you to kind of drop off the face of the earth to speech marks, do a Caitlyn, you yeah. know, like Caitlyn Jenner did kind of go away and then do a big, like, almost unveiling, which isn't really representative of what it's like to be trans. And so, you know, when I, when I came out as trans... You know, I told my friends in 2014 and very, over that period, sort of told my friends and my family. And then um, I publicly came out in 2015 and, you know, I looked for a different how I look now. You know, it was right at the beginning of, I guess, what we'd call my medical transition or, you know, my social transition even. And, and people have really seen the whole thing. Um, and I, I figured I could use the platform I already had to maybe do some good and make some change. But of course, what that meant doing, and I don't think I really realised this at the time, is I sacrificed a lot of my anonymity. There is such a record of my transition online that there is no way I can sort of almost live, live in peace. You know, my, my story is very public. I remember it might have been in gender games or you might have tweeted it. <laughs> These are the two ways that I know about <laughs> yeah. your life, it seems, and keep a track of it. But um, wasn't one of your first um, experiences like being like out, I say, I'm saying it in inverted commas mm -hmm. because in a way it, it's all a process, it sounds like, mm. for like two or three years at least, yeah. was at the Attitude Awards? There was that, yes. There was, so it was strange because we had the Attitude Awards in October, which was just before the BuzzFeed article in which I came out ran. Um, and so but at that point I was telling people who knew me what was about to happen and that there's about to be a statement kind of. God, and, it's so interesting. Mm. You had to properly like orchestrate, talk to news organizations yeah. in a way. Well, it was, so what I did was I, I spoke to a friend of mine called Patrick Strudwick, who's an amazing, he's the LGBTQ editor at BuzzFeed UK because I knew he'd do a good job yeah. Um, and I knew it would be sensitively handled. And I just wanted to do it once. I didn't want to have to, you know, we know if you put a post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, a fraction of your followers will see it. Um, and then the danger was, of course, if I'd have just put something on Twitter, you know, it might have been picked up by a tabloid or something and it wouldn't have been handled as well. So doing a very thorough interview with, with Buzzfeed, BuzzFeed felt like the safest thing to do. And then that ran and then about a week later there was the the last ever Stonewall Awards. They've stopped doing the awards now. And so that was like my first proper outing as Juno. Um, still a really fun night, 
um, it was, yeah, I felt very vulnerable, but it was everybody really looked after me. It was good. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> What's been your experience of being trans and in the media since then? So we just mentioned earlier, like, you were on Good Morning Britain and you've mm. done some TV, but I'd imagine also you've been referenced in the news and in newspapers or tabloids. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's been a really steep learning curve. I mean, I guess I could have spoken to friends of mine and this is especially so what really really changed things was when the gender came games came out last year because it was my first book marketed towards adults and there'd been a sort of safety in writing for young adults which is that by and large the mainstream media doesn't pay an awful lot of attention so i'd always somewhat gotten under the radar but this was a big adult title about a topic which is very hot in the media right now i don't fully understand why um you know trans people have been around for as long as culture has been recorded there have been trans people but i think someone on fleet street thinks that this is a relatively new phenomenon and it's really not i think the internet has improved the visibility of trans people so i think we're more visible than we've ever ever been but we're certainly nothing new and so it was, it was just, it's been a hot topic and I wasn't ready, you know, and I, I guess I could have, I'm friends with Kathleen Moran, I could have asked her how it feels to release a memoir, Damien Barr released a memoir. You are putting quite a lot of yourself out there. And I already had with the column I did for Glamour magazine as well. But what you can't bet on is what happens to that information once it's out. And it can be taken and changed and misconstrued. And the obvious example, and it's happened since as well, was in the Gender Games, I talk about a very brief fling I had with a footballer. I really didn't <sighs> think that was news. I mean, we went on like three dates or something, like nothing came of it. I know nothing about football. Clearly we were never gonna get on, but he was quite hot. And in the book, the reason I included him in the Gender Games is because it was the first time as a trans woman that I realised how objectified I was being. Um, I think um, in my previous experience on the gay scene, I hadn't been objectified in quite the same way. I don't think people were tracking me down purely because of who I was. Whereas for a trans woman, there are some men out there who are almost shopping for trans women. You know, this is something that does it for them. It's something that gets them off. And so it's incredibly dehumanising and incredibly objectifying. Um, and through him, through this footballer, that was the first time that I learned this was my new reality as a trans woman, which obviously went for a really important part of my journey. So of course it went in the memoir. To, in my mind, the fact he was a footballer was neither here nor there. It was almost like colour to the story, kind of. And but he's unnamed as well, I right? don't name yeah. him and I never will. The, a no. newspaper offered me a lot of money to name him and I turned it down. Um, <laughs> integrity. And um, <laughs> and so we did... Um, the Guardian serialised it and we did a big glossy photo show. It looked really nice. Of course they included that bit because why wouldn't they? It's sexy and salacious. And then the first I heard was my mum ringing me in tears saying, I've just read about you in The Sun. And I was like, what? Oh, and I didn't even realise that, of course, The Sun had picked up on the story and ran it with the headline, what was it? Prem Star Trans Fling. Which isn't 
even English. It's kind of made up. But it's so, so dehumanizing on yeah, all levels. Trans well. star, trans thing. Weirdly, I did an interaction at the Sun with all about trans about six months ago, and I showed them the headline, and even they were embarrassed. They tried to pin it on one of their weekend writers, and I was like, "It's your newspaper, yeah. you know, you ran this headline, Prem Star Trans Fling." And my mum thought I'd done like a kiss and cat tell because it, di- it didn't mention the God. book. It didn't mention that I was an author. I was just, um, I think it even said the first line was, a transgender woman has told of her sordid affair with a premiership footballer. I was reduced to, I didn't have a name. And in fact, I think you get three paragraphs in before I get a name. I am just God. a transgender woman. And this is kind of the state we're at with the media and trans women at the moment, which is, you know, we we don't even qualify for a name. We are just a transgender woman. So it's been a learning curve, is how I think I would describe it. Yeah, and that must be reflected not just in your experience, but in the whole media. I know I've seen a lot of stuff that's been so demonising and also dehumanising about trans people in the media this year and non-binary people. Mm. How have you found the experience of just watching that and being able to comment on it as well? Because you comment on it on Twitter, but at the same time, you're not, as you were saying, you're not the gatekeeper of any of it. You don't want to be representative of it. It just sucks. (laughs) It does. I mean, it's kind of... So I think there are certain groups in society who we must be selling newspapers that's all I can think it is so you've got refugees Muslims trans people and by trans people I pretty much mean trans women because trans men are so invisible in the media because I think it doesn't quite fit the narrative some of the right-wing papers like which is you know these scary trans sort of bogeymen who are gonna invade women's spaces and they're all actually murderers and rapists and we need to protect our children you know that's the narrative they don't say it like that but if you read between the lines even in i mean they don't say it like that but they may as well they may as well i mean even (laughs) last week in the guardian the guardian said you know we we support rights for trans people but it must not be at the cost to women and so you might read that and think, yeah, that seems reasonable. Until you sort of think, hang on, hold the phone. Because we need trans rights, but not at the cost of women. Do trans people create a cost to women? Is there a cost to women? And hang on a minute. If we have two distinct groups here, trans people and women, that of course means that trans women don't count as women. Yeah. And so that's what it's saying. Basically, The Guardian released a 1,000-word essay that said trans women aren't women. And that's that, for me, was when I quit Twitter. <laughs> that was when yeah. I was like, enough, I'm going to go mad. This is time to get out of Dodge. Um, it's been scary. It feel, and this shows a real sense of, a, a sort of a privilege, actually, because, you know, so much has been written about Muslims and refugees and I'm neither a Muslim or a refugee so because that was not personal to me I kind of saw it and thought gosh that's disgraceful how awful don't buy that newspaper but with the increased rhetoric around trans people what I've realized is that shit is scary and it affects you when you leave the house it's almost like you know when you walk in a room and you know that people have been talking about you yeah it's that feeling you feel like the world is a room in which everybody's been talking about you. 
and you almost expect that moment of silence when you walk in the room and you know everybody's been talking about you and you know everybody has an opinion about you. You know people talking about you largely behind your back. You start to wonder if your friends are talking about you behind your back. Like, you know, because some of these publications are saying, this is how women feel. And so like, well, my friends are women. Is this how they feel? And so the, the general, I think the word I would use to describe my personal experience is paranoid. That this tone in the press is making me really fundamentally paranoid. Um, and it's not been fun. It's not been fun at all. What do you think's made it rise kind of so so noticeably this this year? Two things really. I mean, I think there is the just increased discussion online. And I do think, you know, in years to come, we will look at this as being like the post-Caitlyn generation. I think obviously Caitlyn Jenner is not the first transgender woman in the world, but she was the first with that level. I mean, my God, she belongs to the Kardashian clan at the moment anything they do makes headlines one of them coming out as transgender of course it was a big deal and I think while I think Caitlin and I exist in very different ends of the political spectrum you know the the thing that she has done is that she has now meant that there are very few people in the western world who haven't heard of what it is to be transgender because of Caitlin Jenner and that's probably I think broadly a good thing um I think the other thing as well is is the, the government consultation on reforming the Gender Recognition Act, which has been blown out of all proportion. I mean, I think they were saying last week that some 55,000 people have filled that consultation in. That was meant to be a survey for trans people and service providers about how they could streamline a form. <laughs> it was meant to be the... Gender Recognition Act basically is just the way that I apply for a new birth certificate. That's all it is. Yeah. And basically they've realised that trans people aren't really using it. Like only a very small minority of trans people bother. So you might well ask, okay, we've got this system for trans people and trans people aren't using it. So what's wrong with it? And so what they did is, right, well, let's consult with the trans community about what it is they need from this service. But did you, you, you must have filled it out, I'm sure. No, so I didn't, because I knew they were about to reform it. Oh, okay. And this, so this is the thing. Because all the questions are really loaded. So I filled yeah. it out because I thought that was what everyone was, yeah. you know, I was like, great, show solidarity. It evidently wasn't aimed at me. Um, like, you know, it was me yeah. for trans people, yeah, first yeah. thing I noticed. Second thing was that the way everything's worded is like they know it's wrong. Yeah. It's like, do you think we should pay £140 to, for, um, for doing the form, I guess? Yeah, bureaucracy, yeah. Yeah, and I was, I was like, well, you're, there's such an implicit, we probably shouldn't, in yeah. that, that I don't quite know what they're asking. So, so basically, the, the system, so when it came out in 2004, it was like a really amazing piece of legislation that for the first time legally allowed trans men and trans women to apply for a new birth certificate that reflects the gender we should have got in the first place. Wicked. Other countries have since overtaken us and just have way better systems. So when I came out as trans, so now we're talking end of 2015, of course it was paramount for my career that I was able to travel. So the very, very first thing I did was change my name by deed poll, applied for a new passport within four weeks. I was fully equipped to travel as Juno Dawson. Um, it required a very brief letter from my GP um, to say that I had, um, you know, that I'd, I'd been referred for medical transition. Great. 
um, and then I got driver's license and you know so I've got more ID than I know what to do with but of course when was the last time you used your birth certificate yeah. and so the thing is it's so easy to get your new passport and your new driver's license that I don't really need a birth certificate so I just That's didn't so bother interesting. I didn't realize I yeah. assumed you needed the birth certificate for the driver's license and no for the no and so that's that's oh. the thing the system is so not fit for purpose and that's all the gender recognition act is about it's about nothing else but because of again the you know, I already mentioned what the agenda of some of the press is. You know, it's this has become, you know, is it about trans women swim, swimming on Hampstead Heath? Is it about trans women using public restrooms? Is it about rape shelters and domestic violence shelters? It is about none of those things. <laughs> because, of course, we've already been doing those things. You know, I, I do some voluntary stuff with um, Brighton, Brighton Women's Shelter. You know, they've been trans-inclusive forever. For as long as that shelter has been there, if a trans woman has needed to get out of an abusive relationship, they've provided sanctuary for her, which is, of course, the way it, it needs to be because we know that trans women, unfortunately, are particularly vulnerable because we're kind of on the fringes of society. A lot of us do sex work, um, you know, so we are a particularly vulnerable group of women. So you know, it's only right and proper that, that women's services are keeping an eye. Um, and that's not going to change. It doesn't matter the outcome of this consultation because that's protected by the 2010 Equalities Act. So it's, what's frustrating about the tone in the media at the moment is that it's actually just wrong. It's inaccurate. Um, and that's, for me, very, very irresponsible journalism to suggest that this is what that this has anything to do with with women's prisons you know what we we need to talk about women's prisons we need to talk about cultures in women's prisons of violence cultures of sexual assault cultures of what we do with dangerous offenders you know are our prisons overcrowded but it has not well, by and large those conversations have nothing to do with trans people because there are so few trans women in prisons you know what we need to be looking at is why are so many male prison guards sexually assaulting women in prisons you know there are much much bigger conversations to be had and sometimes i think the trans thing is actually a bit of a fucking smokescreen for a much bigger and much more important conversation that we should be having yeah i agree <laughs> well i mean i mean the obvious but... one is this i mean for me because this is one that really really boils my piss is this notion of you know, any sort of notion that trans women are posing like a, a risk to women in terms of sexual assault or violence, we know as women who we are likely to be assaulted by. It is our partners, it's our husbands, it's our fathers, stepfathers, acquaintances. For a long, long time, for decades, Feminists have worked to dispel the myth of the bogeyman rapist who is going to jump out of a bush. Statistically speaking, it's the chances of that happening are minuscule. You know, we need to be teaching teenage girls what a coercive relationship looks like, what an abusive relationship looks like, and, and that abuser, unfortunately, is going to look like your boyfriend. Yeah. Why aren't we having that conversation? Why are we talking about this tiny minority group that is literally a phantom menace? And that's what upsets me. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> this is the this must be the interview I've talked least in in any of them because you're so eloquent at expressing hey, it all. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's nice to get. It's it's also just nice to hear someone talk about it in a way that I'm like. Well, because again, they, that narrative isn't what the press wants. So when when the media asks me to talk about this, they want me to go on some TV show with somebody who's really strongly anti-trans and they want me to sit there and basically say I'm not a rapist while this other person says I think you pose a threat to women and I'm like that's just not the conversation we should be having it's so, that's, so reductive yeah and so that's why I'm not doing them anymore so this year you'll have noticed I haven't really taken part in any debates because I just think they're trash yeah no I've um I just got an email invite to be on a similar debate and I was like obviously about a different topic but mm. I was like wow I can't believe that this like outrage culture is still a thing that we actually really want to watch like morbid fascination let mm. alone when it's people's like this one was nothing to do with me really mm. uh, it was about um porn i think but like this is your life <laughs> mm. like yeah. ultimately the people who have to go on and defend their minority status in whatever way will be the ones that get spat out in the street will be the ones that suffer the consequences in other areas of their lives my mum really worries my mum hates it when I do tv stuff because she knows you know I'm gonna get two or three days online of like horrible messages and people saying I look ugly and people threatening stuff again people threatening all kinds of things so my you know part of the reason I've scaled back some of my media stuff is because is it just really upsets my mum as well she really worries for my safety so how do you deal with it when you get um I wouldn't even call it trolling I think trolling is a really uh implies it's really facile and yeah. it just isn't <laughs> when no. it's when it's like horrible threats that are violent mm. how do you how do you manage that because as an online persona everyone gets every woman especially yeah. gets it to a certain extent but like yours will be worse and i think the platforms you use the most is like twitter and instagram yeah so i've, I've kind of scaled back twitter at the moment i'm having a little break because when in the last couple of weeks of the gender recognition act being open the consultation being open things just got really bad and it really honestly felt like I was drowning um and not just with bad stuff it was really well-meaning stuff as well but it felt like everybody was either saying fill in this consultation come out and support for trans people you need to support your you know sisters not sisters um you know it was some of it was very well-meaning but it was just like every it felt like again everybody was talking about me not to me yeah so it felt very strange um you know, there is some trolling. There are some people who've made it a hobby to mock and deride trans women on Twitter. And, you know, they've singled me out as, as one of those who, who operates in the media. I have been singled out as, you know, an object of ridicule, but it feels very playground. And, you know, you know, I was obviously, as an LGBTQ person, I was bullied at school. I developed a very thick skin. It kind of is water off a duck's back at this point, And I feel very sad that that is how they choose to spend their evenings. Like instead of going out and seeing A Star Is Born like everyone else, they sit at <laughs> home and make little posters of me with a beard and stuff. It's so it sad. Actually... It's so sad. God, it's other levels. That is like ridiculous. It's insane. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. And if that's how you, if that's your little hobby, great. I mean, then it sort of steps up a notch, and you've got the ones who are quite political about it, and like making flyers and putting up stickers. Again, I think that's very sad that that's become their hobby, kind of. Because, you know, it's not about protecting imagine, women and girls. It's, imagine it's... believing in something that much. 
Like, I, I think this about a lot of things. Like, I understand why people care about politics, for example, yeah. that much, but I will never understand why someone cares about arguably such a small issue in that mm. sense. Like, in a negative... Like, a thing that really doesn't impact their life day to day. No. Because, you know, trans women were... were well, trans people were a very, very small minority. So it's, it's we're really not a big issue at all and if it's very 90s it feels like that whole kind of like Marilyn Manson will make your children a devil worshipper you know that was and now we look back at that and you know it just feels so ridiculous but that was very much at the time you know you know the media was saying don't let your children listen to Marilyn Manson you know and that's that's kind of now it's kind of like don't let your children follow trans people on Instagram because they might turn trans and it's like this is nuts um but then, like I said, for me, it's what really scared me was the legitimacy of, like, that Guardian piece. Yeah. Which I'm sure there were lots of people at home reading that and nodding along thinking, that seems quite reasonable. You know, yes, that's right. I, I too, support trans rights. But, you know, it mustn't come at a cost to women's rights. That's fair. You know, but I would say, think about that. What What's that actually saying? You know, do you, do you consider me to be something a bit less than a woman? some sort of like pseudo woman or half woman or crypto woman or you know that because really that's what that was saying and so that was like a real breaking point and it's when you so actually a trolls I can handle legitimized transphobia in the mainstream media horrible yeah I was gonna say I think that guardian thing was like the final straw of that's an organization that has not only like they, they've supported you in so many ways they've given I've written you for them. I'd written for them that day yeah. I'd written a piece for them that day oh my god mm. and then you must have had to email them and be like what are you doing well I haven't said anything but pretty much every single writer editor I know from the Guardian emailed me that day to say I'm so sorry this is nothing to do with me okay well that's so that's Good, but I'm also similar, like, of... well, what are you gonna, what are you gonna do about it? Either change yeah. it from within or leave. I don't know. Those are your options, I guess. And hopefully, but that's the thing. You know, I know a lot of the, a lot of the journalists I know at the Guardian are quite young, quite up and coming. One day, they will be running the Guardian. But that's you know, apparently they're not right now. So leads nicely onto my next question, though. What can allies do to actually help if there's anything people mm. can do at all? Because there's got to be something. Well, number one is listen. I think, you know, your choices are you can listen to people's opinions or you can listen to what we've got to say. And there are lots of people... And, you know, it's frustrating. Like, for example, you know, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who is a woman I, you know, greatly admire, landed herself in hot water because, like, Channel 4 kind of ambushed her by asking her pretty much, what do you think about trans women? Well, it's like, you don't really need to have an opinion. And I think it's okay to actually say, actually, I have no opinion on that. You know, um, I can't imagine anybody's going to be asking my hot take on what it's like to be a Nigerian woman. You know, because <laughs> you imagine. there's an experience I don't have. Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie has never been trans. So why are we even asking her, kind of? So um, it's kind of... You know, I think there's lots of opinions. I mean, my God, just pick up the Times any day of the week and there will be some cisgender person having an opinion about what it's like to be me. But we are out there. If you search for us, you will find us. Dig out. There's some amazing trans writers out there. Um, Me, Paris Lees, um, Rhiannon Stiles, C, um, C. N. Lester. 
Charlie Craggs, Juno Roche, Fox Fisher, um, Jake Graff. Um, there are so many. Oh, um, Alex Bertie has a book out. Amazing. Love um, Alex. <laughs> so many intelligent trans and non-binary people who are saying, this is my experience. It's not an opinion. It's a lived experience. And Check. actually talking about their experience really publicly and in a way, like you published a whole book on your yeah. experience. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's there for, for you. You know, it's out there. Um, and I was happy to put myself out there. Um, and the other thing as well, so listen to us and also don't let tabloids and internet trolls speak on your behalf. Because the first thing that these people do when they go on these debates is say, this is how women feel. And so these trash debates, you know, they get the trans person, the poor trans, dialer trans, and then they get these wild bigots from these hate groups. And these are, let's not forget, these, these are people who have formed organisations which are setting out to remove my human rights. That's their goal. They want to strip me of my right to have my passport, to have my birth certificate, to have my driver's license. That's what they want. And then we are being set up on television as that this is like a balanced debate. Trans person going about their business, walking their dog, going to the bakers, versus hate group trying to remove rights. And then the first thing that this group is gonna say is, I represent women. So they're not, they're not gonna go on Channel 4 or whatever and say, hi there, I represent a transphobic hate group. They're gonna go out there and you know, they all have very legitimate names as well. Kind of they've given themselves these quite sort of, sort of quite legitimate sounding names, um, which is also what racist and far right groups do. Um, and they give themselves a nice name and say, hi, I've come to represent women. And so I think particularly if you are a cisgender woman, it's really important if you disagree with that, that you, you have your own voice because they're attempting to give you a voice and the mainstream media is only letting a certain type of woman have their voice. And so what I've started doing now, especially if I am asked to talk about things like women's spaces, I say, no, I don't want to do that. However, what you could do is speak to my friend who works for Brighton Women's Shelter. And of course, they're not interested in that because she's a cisgender woman. So it just doesn't look as good and it's not what they want. It doesn't fit their very simple notion of what a debate should look like. And of course, if they got Steph from Brighton's Women's Shelter in, she would say, hello, I'm a cisgender woman. I fully support the rights of transgender women to use our shelters because we've been doing it for years and it's fine and we've never had a problem. But then that just completely shits on the TV producer and what they're trying to do. It makes for bad telly. And, and so I think speak up. And that was, that was the encouraging thing about last week, which was so many women, gay men, straight men were speaking up or asking me, how do I fill in that form? It's really complicated. What do I need to do? And luckily Stonewall had made a much simpler version of the form to fill in. Um, which also didn't take 25 minutes to load, which I appreciate. Helpful, <laughs> yes. Thank you, Stormore. Well, I mean, and that's another one. You know, Ruth Hunt is a cisgender gay woman, head of Stormwall. She has been the most amazing vocal ally for trans people. She's been great. Um, and that's really important because don't let transphobic people speak for you because that's what the mainstream media is doing. It's only giving one type of woman a platform. So you can see how... 
you can see why people think there is some big divide between trans people and women but that's just because it's how it's been framed by the media because it's it is not my experience of real life in real life people have been kind they've been supportive they have been understanding they've been ready to listen they've shown empathy and compassion that all of those things are lacking from the media i think that's a great note to end on <laughs> Thank Thanks you. so much for being part of this. Not at all. Where Thank can you. people find you on social media? And <laughs> talk about quickly clean because then people can read clean. Yes, please do. <laughs> um, clean is out now in all good bookshops. It has a very beautiful rose gold cover. It's very shiny. It's Can't miss very it. nice cover. Mm-hmm. They're doing a really good job. Um, I am at Juno Dawson on Instagram and Twitter. Less less on Twitter at the moment. <laughs> I do, I want to come back. I love Twitter. I, I do want to come back. You know I'm just what? waiting for things to die down a bit. I'm about to do a proper Twitter purge because mm. I can't follow all the people I follow right now. I follow so many people, especially for the podcast, like mm. Brexit issue, oh. this thing, more memes than I ever wanted to see in my life. And yeah. I'm like, I just need to Too follow much. like just like 50 people that mm. I really like. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, it's all a bit much. But um. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be back. But particularly for now, Instagram is where I'm the happiest. Amazing. And that's our Juno Dawson? Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this chat. I love Juno. I learned so much in this interview. It's not even really an interview. More of a chat. But I hardly said anything because I was so interested in what she had to say. She has so many well thought out, really good like kind of analyses, I guess, on the whole situation and speaks about it with such calmness, which I think I would really struggle with in her position. I have the utmost respect for Juno. So if you'd like to see more about her, check her Instagram, check her Twitter, and The Sunday Social has Instagram and Twitter as well. If you want to contact us on Twitter, you can use the hashtag The Sunday Social. And if you want to see us on Instagram, it's at The Sunday Social Podcast. So please do reach out on those two platforms. And yeah, thank you again for listening. I will see you next week when I'm hopefully slightly better and not on antibiotics for another episode. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.